Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature Kahari Turner, an emerging painter from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and a current MFA graduate student at Columbia University. Following his appearance at Christie's Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, his recent exhibitions include a group show titled Restoration Now or Never in London and a solo show titled The Sea's Own Children at the Iris Project in Venice, California. Kahari is in multiple collections and he has been featured in Art News, White Hot Magazine, Hyperallergic, to name a few. His aims are to eventually start a nonprofit to create art programs directed at improving neighborhoods like the one he grew up in. Please welcome Kohari Turner to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast and enjoy. Kahari, thank you so much for joining me on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's nice to have young men. (laughs) (laughs) Right, you're finishing your uh, MFA at Columbia? Yes, yes, yes. Second second year, uh, finishing it up. Kind of different because of COVID, but I'll be finished this year. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So let's talk about when did you discover your artistic passion? Really young. I started off kind of talking to my grandfather, who was a builder and also worked in a uh, draftsman for a a pump company. So he drew all of the time. And so really, really early on, I I knew that I was interested in drawing Um, and kind of through middle school and working through, I guess, uh, relationships between bullies and learning to (laughs) understand that bullies really appreciate people who are artists. Oh. Um, and it becomes less of, you know, picking on a person and more of like a, hey, can you draw this for me? And, you know, and that really, that really launched it. I was, I was like, yeah, I could do that. And so, uh, yeah, kind of through middle school, it really, really stepped up. And yeah, drawing ever since has been just something that I've always wanted to get better at. And then after I got to a certain point, I just was like, this is what I want to do all the time every day. Well, so, you know, I often say art will save us. But I never, <laughs> I never looked at it from your perspective. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's survival. <laughs> That's hilarious. So early on, was there a particular artist that influenced you? Yeah, very early on. Well, and you know, in, in younger years, it always comes up that the way to get through school is to try to get as good as as you can in representation. So, like my first early early artists that I was really interested in, Kehinde Wiley, Chuck Close, all of the people who were doing really well-rendered work were the people that I was really interested in when I was younger. 
Um, and so, I, it, you know, Turner um, and his amazing paintings. Um, so, I, yeah, I was looking at a lot of rendering. It changed throughout the years, but those are the people who were the, the foundation to everything. It was like being able to make an image look like a picture as best as my ability could be was the goal at first. So, so you paint and draw. I mean, basically, mm -hmm. your work is a combination of abstraction and uh, realistic renderings? Yeah, well, uh, it comes down to really this idea of once I got to a point where I could render really well, um, I knew that there was a point where the rendering just wasn't doing everything that I wanted it to do. Once I finally figured out the kind of artistic voice that I wanted, Rendering wasn't the answer to everything that I had or answer to all the questions that I wanted to pursue in the art. And so abstraction naturally became the answer to that because abstraction allows for so many different interpretations where once you render something to a certain extent and maybe, you know, a person in a room, the room becomes a question, the person becomes a question but it never really focuses on these wildly vast ideas of uh, identity outside of that room or people outside of that space. And even if you draw the space in maybe a different way or a magical place, it still becomes a question about that space, unless you make that space an abstraction. And so abstraction was the clear answer for me to try to move on and really question a lot of different things and talk about a lot of different things that I couldn't in basic rendering and realistic work that I was pursuing at first. And how has how has it changed over the years? Uh, really quickly. I'm I'm interested in this idea of I'm also like I was a student athlete. I did sports all growing up. I was a cheerleader. I was a mascot. So I like, took on a lot of different forms in school. And, and one thing that uh, being a student athlete you get is always this idea that regardless of what you're doing, you always need to work harder on something. Um, one, one, one way or another, it's always like practice harder. If you're not practicing with the team and practicing outside of the team, then you're not practicing, <laughs> practicing right. So uh, my head is, is I have to continue to keep pushing um, to see what I can and can't do. And so literally through the years, it's been me questioning like, okay, if I make something look like this, what, what comes from that? And so then I'll make five, 10, 15 versions of it before I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I made so many of these, I think this can change. And so all of last year, and as soon as I started grad school here at Columbia, I pretty much worked, uh, a bunch just continuously. So I started when I first got here, I, I made 15 paintings within a span of like three months. Um, and all of them were, you know, 16 by 20. But the point was, is that they were easy enough for me to keep changing every little bit until I got to the 15th one. And then the 15th one probably looks as close to what I'm doing now uh, and so much different than the first one. So I think that it, it all took just me kind of doing a lot of repetition in the work to a point where the abstraction made sense and felt more important and strong because the abstraction at first was really hard. Going from, going from realistic and rendering people to trying to create an abstraction from those people was really difficult. So it took a lot of 
you know, multiple tries of me trying and trying and trying until I kind of get to where I'm at now, which is a lot more confident in the way that I approach these abstractions. But yeah, that's how it kind of changed. And and what overcomes you like intellectually, mentally, when you start to actually paint or draw? Uh, I think this is where the abstraction really lends itself to me because I don't think about much of anything uh, as much as I see the time that I paint or the starting of a painting as an emotion and as a feeling, and then trying to figure out a way to express that emotion or feeling. Um, the work is a lot about movement and, you know, liquid, but also, and then like when I say liquid, I mean uh, fluidity in both experience and in life, like thinking about the way you move throughout your day is kind of just like a flow. Um, and because of that flow, I always think about in what way are the energies of these people and the energy of me coming out into these pieces. So really when I start, what I have is this expression of me trying to figure out, okay, what energy am I giving? What energy is the person that I'm mimicking or coming from or not at all? And then how do I kind of meld those two or create something new um, in any way? And then the water also lets, I, the water is free flow. So like I start off by basically wetting my surface, putting in ink and ocean water into a container or ocean water loosely into a container. Um, and then I'll just spread it across the surface and then just mix the ink freely and then let it flow however it wants to flow. Like I can manipulate it to an extent, but the things that come out the end of it are its own doing. Um, and so just in the same way that a river, you know, has to flow a certain direction, you may be able to curve it or turn it a little bit, but at the end of the day, like the river has to go back to a certain source. And so that's basically how I kind of approach all of the work. And what is the intellectual connection between water and life, or let's say water and your life? Well, uh, coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, Lake Michigan is right there. It's literally, it was literally uh, 10 minutes away from my house driving distance. And so a lot of time was spent by water. Um, and in doing so, I kind of understood the water in a different way. Because there's a stigma around Black individuals and swimming. And my grandmother couldn't swim. Um, and my grandfather could slightly swim. But a lot of their history is of Black people not being able to swim. And so they were really adamant on their grandchildren learning how to swim once they had the ability to afford a, a potentially a pool and swimming lessons. And my mom uh, was right along with it and would take us to uh, swimming lessons because of the importance of the body and water. Hmm. Just being able to swim as a skill is something that is, is taken lightly, but at the end of the day, like it creates a freedom that comes with, the ability to see a place and to enter into a space and not fear, you know, dying from it. So, so like thinking about drowning, uh, I don't have to because I know I can swim. Um, so in, in that same way, the intellectual aspect of water that I'm really interested in is this freedom of that water, but also the, the minerals that are in that water. And it, 
uh, and when I say minerals, I'm also thinking about uh, the things that are in the water that's just not like sewage or or toxins or, or whatnot. Because <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't jump in, in the Hudson right now. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, there's so much history there. Like water has memory, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's scientifically proven that water has memory. They they put it in a Disney movie, so I know it's true. <laughs> I, I, I've seen it in Frozen. No. <laughs> But uh, but because of that history and that memory of water, well, then, you know, what else is the water remember? Um, what do I remember? Uh, how does my memory and the memory of the people in that water affect me in one way or another? Uh, and to know that if I couldn't swim, that I couldn't have that same connection is an uh, interesting conversation to have what within the work um, while also, you know, looking at well, what is the history of the water and how does that change or even interpret what is the history of the people that I'm painting uh, kind of comes to. So would you say that water connects your work? Oh, for, very much so, very much. Uh, water is essentially everything um, and not even just uh, physically in the in the work, but I think about these people and the reason that these, this idea came up or the reason that I work this way is because I had a simple idea about um, how do I show uh, blackness and people of color, specifically uh, people of different shades of brown in one way without showing like a history of, you know, potential past traumas or slavery or or pain, um, but also talk about that pain uh, without it being forced upon the viewer. And so thinking about water, I thought about how strong it was, how how beautiful it is also, how devastating it could be, how everybody potentially is a body of water in their own right. Like everybody's body is made up of a certain amount of water. So to think about me as an individual uh, being beautiful, but also potentially being devastating as a body of water onto something else. Um, and one way or another, it's kind of like thinking about how how is the black body also an endangered body of water? Like, uh, mm. you know. In, in one way or another, um, because I was thinking about also like segregated pools uh, and this uh, ability to, you know, not have certain aspects of water given to you Even thinking about Flint, Michigan. So uh, a lot of that came from thinking about that connection to water for sure. Mm-hmm. What I found striking in your work is the choice of blue mm. that you use. And I'm sure you saw it, but, you know, back. Uh, February 5th, I saw a New York Times story announcing a new blue. Apparently, the uh, EPA mm-hmm. approved it back in 2017, mm-hmm. but now it's available for artists to use. Did you check it out, the new blue? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because when you first see it, you're like, what is this blue? And they're like, oh, it's Y-M-I-N-B. You're like, huh? What? <laughs> How do you, do you, you say this or you say the whole thing. You're like, oh, well, this is the components that make up the blue. And so this is the blue. Um, I think it's really, it's a beautiful blue. I'm a fan of ultramarine. It reminds me of ultramarine um, in one way or another with a slightly different tone, just a little bit. And I'm, yeah, I'm really interested. I was going to get some. I was trying to figure out where I could buy some like uh, the other day, actually. It's so new. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it's it's oh, it's always interesting when they bring out new colors. Like when they first brought out Vanta Black, and people were like, "Oh, how do I get this? How do I get this black?" Or the pink is pink. There's so many different colors now that they're just like, "Oh, this is a new color." <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh yeah. Um, how would you define black art? That one's always a hard one. <laughs> it's always so. It's always so hard uh, because. There's a conversation to have around like uh, what's the difference between between art and black art? And if there is no difference, then why designate one as black art? If it's just black people who make images of black people, um, would it just be regular art if we were in Africa? I don't you know. uh, But also, I think that there's also a question like, you know, what is black culture? I really see it as, as simply just art. Um, created in the cultural understanding and appreciation, but also uh, storytelling of Black history in one way or another. Um, But also, you know, not everybody who is Black creates images of Black people. So I can't really say it's one thing or another, because if I was to talk about, you know, maybe some other artists uh, who represent Black people and maybe even talk about, you know, cultural aspects of black identity um, because they grew up in maybe the same area, then I could consider that black art, but not everybody else will consider that black art because it's from a perspective of someone who isn't per se in the same um, situation as somebody who is of a darker skin tone. But I think of black art is kind of just overall interesting look into a diaspora of so many different skin tones of uh, Black people and kind of just like these stories and cultural aspects of Black identity uh, and the evolution of Black identity too from the, you know, from slave songs to jazz to hip-hop to to fashion to icons to singers and dancers to so many different things, food for sure, um, and these other aspects of culture that are kind of ingrained in Black Black identity, but also, you know, it's it's a question of um, where do where does that black identity go? How far does it reach? Are we considering when we say black art, do we say African or is that African art? Um, or if, if somebody's f- from Africa and I'm saying Africa is even though it's a continent, let's say Nigeria or somewhere else. Um, and if they're making art, you know, is it Nigerian art? But if they come to America, is it black art now? Because they're, <laughs> they're, they're here. So it's like, yeah, it's like a, it's, a, it's an interesting question because I, I never know. I always uh, and Carrie, uh, Carrie James Marshall talked about this idea of black art. And I was he his answer was probably the best answer. I heard. He was just like, oh, you just make art and you just paint. And so it was like, yes, you, you were black and that will be a part of the art. And if anything, don't ever stray away from it, but also understand that. It, whatever you make is going to be good or bad. And if it's good, then it's staying. But if it's not, then, you know, it can fade off, um, which has some truth to it. You know, there's some good people who never got their chance. But uh, I think that that was probably the best answer. Carrie James Marshall is just great, though. So it really is. Yeah. And, and having such a great influence over young artists in the art world also. What do you feel is the purpose of art? It's not a trick question. Yes, it is. No, <laughs> no uh, I, there, there is so many things. I want art 
and then the problem is, is that there is a there's such a scope to what art is too. Um, and artists, you know, advertising, artists, movies, artists, song, artists, dance, artists, performance, artists, visual. Uh, and so in that way, when I say, when I think of art uh, changing the world, I'm thinking of all these different aspects of art um, and visual art, sound art, you know, performance, all of these things, uh, opera. I think it, it definitely changes the world. Like people think that art is something that is thrown away easily. Like, oh, we don't need to fund art. Like people are just going to make art anyway. Um, but essentially without it, there's so much that people wouldn't be able to, to do. Like artists in the design of their shoes, artists in the, also in the functionality of things, artists in the protest, artists is, is in the, the founders of multiple organizations. Art is also a lot of the ways that things get done. So I think that art is, is for sure a change, uh, the world changer. And art might not be read as art to everyone, but there's so many aspects to art that that is out there that I don't think everybody really understands what it would be like if there was no art, if there was no designers, if there was no movie makers, if there was no producers, <laughs> talent, philanthropists, none of that. I mean, you know, yeah. Uh, and so much of history would have been lost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who would have who would have wrote that down? Who would have made the pictures to talk about history? <laughs> Who's putting the crop circles in the crops? No, <laughs> I was just kidding. So, as an as an artist, yeah, as a emerging artist, new to New York City, yeah, how did COVID affect you? Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is this is gonna be the the turning question of our century. It's gonna be the biggest thing that since sliced bread. <laughs> <laughs> I know. A lot of wonderful things will come of it. Oh, and that is the thing. It, it, it has done wonders for me, which is insane because I was not expecting that. But COVID is probably, uh, thank God for everything that I've ever gotten. Um, and I definitely try to keep a clear head on my shoulders. Uh, my grandfather passed in uh, 2014, 2013, actually. And when he passed, I really felt like it was a time for me to, like, change and be the best version of myself that I could. So literally right after I ended up moving to Tennessee and starting school, and then I came here. A reason I say that is because uh, when I came here, I was like, this is the place I need to be. This is the competition that I want to, if I'm going to try to be the best potential person I could possibly be. It's going to be among all these amazing other people. So I have to um, push as hard as I can here. And so in during COVID, it was crazy because the first two weeks, depression. It was, it was awful. I was like, oh, the world is ending. I oh, can't no. do anything. <laughs> I don't know what I had. They threw me out of my studio. <laughs> I brought all my supplies into my bedroom. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so I'm asleep for the next two weeks and it, we're going to wake up. And I, I, I finally got out of my slumber after, yeah, it was, I think it was like two weeks. It was, it was maybe not like a whole two weeks, but after they, they got us out of our studios and we're like, all right, you're going to have to start wearing masks, gloves, everything on your body and you can't go outside. And if you go outside, you could catch it. It was so 
everywhere. So those, those first like two weeks, um, really after all the schools started shutting down and they threw us out, I was I was just sad because I was like, I came here to do a certain thing and <laughs> I can't do that now. And so I'm stuck. Um, but after I moved all my stuff to my studio, I was like, no, I have my supplies here. I have paper here. I have a couple canvases that I made here. Uh, I have all this opportunity. Let's let's do something. And because of it, I probably I don't know. I don't even know if I would be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for the time and space that I created for myself while in in quarantine. Um, I feel like everybody's work has gotten so much better because it made it an opportunity where you had to really sit down and just think because there was nothing else you could do. You could try to, you know, think about other stuff or put on TV or watch movies or some something else, make bread. People made bread. You know, <laughs> you know how, how hard it is to get New Yorkers to make bread? <laughs> People were churning their own butter. It was so bad. Out there. <laughs> so, so to get to a point where you slow down New York, uh, everybody had to think. And so, you know, I wasn't even here that long. And I was like, this city is different. And so during that time, I just, I just focused so hard and I made, and it was, it was one of those things that to keep myself sane, what I did was I would try to make a piece every single day. And so through that, so last year I made somewhere around like a hundred some odd pieces um, just because at, at the time, like, I was like, okay, what can I make today? What can I make today? And it would be maybe, you know, 18 by 24 drawings or some small painting, or it would be uh, some four foot by seven foot drawing that I would make. And I would just post up multiple images along my wall and work on maybe like seven, eight things at the exact same time. And I still do that, but like it was different because it was this idea of, you know, how do I keep my hands moving? How do I keep making things happen. Cause after, yeah, after that initial two weeks of just me being confused and upset about the world change. And I was like, I still need to work. Cause what happens at the end of this, how long are we going to be here? I don't know, but I know that I only have this much freedom and time in this space. And I'm glad I was in school. I didn't have to worry about, you know, a job or something else. Uh, I got tuition money and the school was also helping with, you know, we had, on campus jobs and they were still helping. So that was pretty much it. I, I just, I just worked as hard as I could during, during quarantine because that's, it seemed like the only thing that I could do. Art is always the answer. And so art was the answer for that. Thank you very much for saying that. It is the answer. And, um, and two weeks isn't a long time, just just for the record, okay? Okay. Uh, hey, <laughs> it felt like it. <laughs> that, that that quarantine time <laughs> felt like three days. It was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I made a whole piece about it. I was like, there's nothing else but yesterday, today, and tomorrow during quarantine. <laughs> yeah. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Love your energy. It's invigorating. So this is our last question. What do you feel is your role as an artist? I love this. I love this question because <laughs> <laughs> it makes it so, it makes it seem as though, you know, art has always been an answer and it has. And so in that way, my answer is always to uh, do as my grandfather said. My grandfather, like I said, huge influence on me. And what he really did 
that was amazing was he exuded this father-like neighborhood guy. It's like, if anybody needs anything, you can go to him. And that's kind of the way that I understand my role in, in art. I know that I have the potential to do all of these different amazing things, but I also know with that, being from where I'm at in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and being in, you know, having free, free to reduce lunches, um, that I understand where, what it means to come from somewhere where they don't tell you that you can make it in any other way other than, you know, drug dealing, playing basketball or becoming a musician or a rapper. So I, I know that my place is to create images to change that, but also to give back as much as possible. Um, there was a nonprofit that uh, is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's called Lake Valley Camp. Now it's called Peak. Uh, Peak. But when I was going, it was called Lake Valley Camp. It was really important to me. And it was uh, basically took inner city kids into the middle of Wisconsin, in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how we did this, but either way, they took <laughs> us into the middle of nowhere. And for two weeks, uh, we pretty much had no cell phone reception. Uh, a reception, even though we didn't have cell phones back there, but we didn't have any TVs, any way to contact anyone else outside of like the office that kept everything up to date. And through that experience, my life changed because it gave me an opportunity to see the, see the world in such a vastly different place. And nature was everywhere. Um, it was, it was like a sleepaway camp. So it was, it was, you know, cottage, like cottages, um, tents, we did canoeing trips. Um, and for a kid who, who grew up with people, you know, who decided their only life goal was to get money some type of way, to be in a situation where money doesn't rely on you to do anything um, besides you, you, nothing, you just live, um, that changed everything for me. And so, like, my, my idea is, is to give back as much as possible. And I think that's for sure what my grandfather would want for me, is to be able to take all the things that I've been given and use that in one way or another for people to come up to me and go, hey, if you need something, you can go to this guy. And that, that's me. I admire the way you think. And it's going to be interesting to watch your career blossom. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 